Welcome to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book, with Susie Chase. She's just a home cook in New York City, sitting at her dining room table, talking to cookbook authors. Hi, I'm Jessie Sheehan, and my new cookbook is Snackable Bakes, a hundred easy-peasy recipes for exceptionally scrumptious sweets and treats. So today is the best day. It's the day we've all been waiting for. It's the follow-up to The Vintage Baker, and I am so happy to have you back on the show, Jesse. Thank you so much, Susie. It's so wonderful to be here. So let's get into this. What exactly is a snackable bake? Such a good question. (laughs) So a snackable bake is an easy peasy recipe. It does not have to be a baked recipe. I use the word bake, snackable bakes, um, very loosely in the title. What I just mean is a sweet or a treat, the recipe for which has a very short ingredient list, has very few easy to follow instructions, does not require any more equipment than maybe a bowl and a whisk and a spatula. The recipes can be assembled in 20 minutes or less. Sometimes they take a little longer to bake, but the idea is kind of sweets and treats whenever the craving hits, no matter the day, there's no need for a special occasion to eat a snackable bake. We eat a snackable bake when we have a craving for something delicious. I love that these are easy recipes because this season on the cookbook podcast, I've been unapologetically drawn to cookbooks with a minimal amount of ingredients. And it's taken me years to get to this place, I guess, because we're brought up to be a Julia child in the kitchen making complicated time consuming recipes. But in Snackable Bakes, you talk about how there wasn't much baking from scratch, Julia Child-esque, in your childhood home. How did you learn how to bake? So that is 100% true. That was not happening when I was growing up. Um, I grew up in a home where um, where there was a deep appreciation of sweets and treats. So I feel like very grateful to my parents and I dedicate my book to them um, for putting dessert on the table every night of the week, otherwise known as raising me right. So I certainly grew <laughs> up around a lot of sweets, but I didn't grow up around a lot of homemade sweets. And neither of my parents baked or really cooked. Um, I had a paternal grandmother who baked, but I honestly wasn't all that interested in in learning how to make the things that I love to eat. That is until I'd actually worked as a lawyer for a while, um, had two children. Uh, I actually left my job as a lawyer when I had my first son. And I joke that I'm still on maternity leave. And that would be almost 19 years now. But long story short, it kind of took me to to having these little boys in the house and kind of reevaluating what I might want to do professionally outside of the home, in addition to being a mom. And that a hundred percent led me to a bakery in my neighborhood in Brooklyn, where I just basically said to the guys who run the bakery, please teach me what you know. I want to be your intern, your apprentice, whatever the term would be. I'm dying to figure all this out. And at the time, I didn't even really have a sense of what I would do with it. It's not like I went there thinking, I think I might want to write cookbooks. It was literally just, I like eating sweets. How about if I learn how to make sweets? That brings me to this line in the cookbook that you wrote. I adore snackable bakes due to my voracious sweet tooth and my impatient nature. That is me, you know, 100%. I say this, you know, in the intro to the book, you know, I totally understand project baking, like 
very complicated big layer cakes and croissant and croquembouche and different things that you can make in the kitchen that take a long time to kind of put together. I totally get that. And I'm happy to come to your house if you're making that for me. But that is just not how I want to spend my time, if that makes sense. You know, people are always talking about baking being meditative. For me, um, any kind of meditative vibe I'm going to get from it, it's going to happen because it, it took almost no time to make. Do you know what I mean? Yes. I'm, I'm not feeling very meditative if I'm like a half an hour or 40 minutes into the assembly of something. Who are those people? What is that? <laughs> I mean, God love those people. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. No judgment. No judgment. <laughs> no judgment. So you're the queen of easy peasy baking. And I love that you have a full list of what you won't make us do. Like you will never require us to cream to soften butter, rest cookie dough, chill pie dough, or perform any other time sucking task. Amazing. A hundred percent. Even though I make it clear that all of those all of those um, uh, activities um, certainly have their place. And I'm not advocating that people make pie dough without resting it, but I'm advocating that you try making pie dough with melted butter rather than cold butter, um, which is, for instance, my recipe for pie and galette in my book call for a melted butter crust just for that reason. So you can throw together the crust, put it into the pan, and you're done. There's no chilling of the dough. There's no kneading of the dough over a certain period of time. It's easy peasy. What is extremely special whipped cream? Probably what will be on my gravestone. Um, It is my absolute favorite way to make whipped cream that actually is stabilized. You know, my first cookbook is called Icebox Cakes. And in that book, a lot of whipped cream was made in the testing and developing of that book. And I was always struck with the fact that you make an icebox cake and maybe you're going to be popping it out of the pan after it rests in the fridge, or maybe it's going to need a little touch up with the whipped cream after sitting in the fridge. And that you can't like make a big batch of cream and then put it into the refrigerator along with that icebox cake, let it sit for six hours or over overnight and then pull out that whipped cream and use it to fix up your cake because the whipped cream is going to have gotten very loose and watery. So I was always wondering about how to make a stabilized whipped cream, but I didn't really want to use gelatin or something like that. It seems too, I was going to say it seems too fussy. It doesn't seem too fussy. It is too fussy for somebody like me, for a snackable baker. So I stumbled upon a recipe. Honestly, I can't even remember where for an easy way to stabilize a whipped cream, which is melting a large marshmallow for every cup of cream or a handful of minis for every cup of cream or a big tablespoon of marshmallow fluff. And if you add one of those three ingredients into your whipped cream while you are whipping it, that um, marshmallow or marshmallow cream will stabilize the whipped cream and flavor it really beautifully for like at least a week, if not. I mean, it's really crazy. I I probably shouldn't say it lasts more than a week, but honestly, I think it might. I mean, it's a it's a crazy, amazing hack. And you know, the marshmallows have gelatin in them. So you're essentially using the gelatin technique to stabilize the cream, but you're doing it in a very unfussy way. And then marshmallow cream, I think is egg whites. So the cool thing about using marshmallow cream is that it's vegetarian. Uh, Marshmallows are not because they have gelatin in them. So either one works. The marshmallow cream has the egg whites, the, the marshmallows have the gelatin. And the other nice thing about the marshmallow cream is you don't have to do anything. You can just put it straight into the cream, whereas the marshmallows need to be melted before being added to the heavy cream. But it's just an excellent way to make a stabilized whipped cream that's tasty and easy. Speaking of marshmallows, I know you love marshmallows. Now, aren't marshmallows your favorite food? I mean, I'm embarrassed to say it because it makes me sound like a seven-year-old, but yes. (laughs) 
Um, I really do love marshmallows. My love for marshmallows came a little bit late in life. Like I wasn't like a kid who was obsessed with marshmallows, but I was a kid who was obsessed with Rice Krispie treats. And I remained a kid who, who was obsessed with Rice Krispie treats right up until today. I am still that kid who loves Rice Krispie treats. And it was developing a recipe for Rice Krispie treats, which made it into my book that first got me kind of hooked on kind of just the casual eating of marshmallows because my recipe not only calls for a bag of mini marshmallows, but it calls for an extra cup of them because I like to put in that extra cup right at the end of the mixing process just to so you get kind of like slightly gooey pockets of marshmallow. Then I would have this bag of marshmallows where one cup had been removed. And so what are you going to do then but binge watch television and eat mini marshmallows? And so that's how it first became like a thing that I might want to just snack on. But then there were just so many amazing ways to use them, like in my whipped cream, like in my, I have a, a mousse in the book, you melt marshmallows and they kind of help to set the mousse for you rather than having to use gelatin or whipped egg whites. Um, I love to throw them in. I have a, a, a fudge in the book called the Sparkle Plenty Fudge, which is a peanut butter. And in that fudge, I'm trying to mimic a sandwich I loved as a child, which is called a fluffer nutter, yeah. which is um, Skippy peanut butter and marshmallow fluff preferably on Wonder Bread. And so in this fudge, I'm trying to kind of replicate that flavor profile. So it's a peanut butter fudge with mini marshmallows in it. Um, and I think there are probably other ways in which I use marshmallows in the book, which I am not thinking of at this particular moment, but they're kind of a great, you know, surprising ingredient that can do a lot of different things that people don't realize. Okay. Here's the name for your next cookbook. You just said <laughs> it. It's going to be called The Casual Eating of Marshmallows by Jesse Sheehan. <laughs> Love. <laughs> you're welcome. So you're on TikTok. We all know that. But your second TikTok way back in 2020 was for your Rice Krispie treats. It went viral with over a million views. Now, how has TikTok changed from when you first started way back then? And how have you changed on the platform? So great question. I feel like TikTok has changed a lot, particularly for people like me, kind of like and by people like me, I mean, not a child. Um, when I got on TikTok in March of 2020, it was very unusual to see a grown up, which um, I hope it's okay to call myself a grown up. Um, it was very unusual to see a grown up on TikTok and very unusual to see a grown up acting crazy. And so essentially, I don't even know how it came to be, but my original TikToks on the platform were me very amped up. Some could argue screaming. It, it, it was it was a little weird. I think what what happened is the first TikTok I ever made, I made with some with some youngsters at a food media outlet. And they suggested when I said, OK, I'm ready to do my first talk tick, because, of course, I couldn't even get the name right. I said, what do I do? And they said, just talk fast. So that was the direction I was given and how it happened. But what came out of me was not only fast, but kind of a little aggressive and a little over the top. And it's like, I'm very much a creature of habit. Uh, so once I saw that that seemed to be what people responded to, I just went with it. But over time, kind of being that amped up, yelling that much, uh, being that kind of aggressive or kind of over the top is not only exhausting, but I also think it didn't feel it wasn't sustainable. 
So then I kind of switched over, I would say, probably by like, I'm trying to think of when it would have been, by the fall of 2020 and into, um, yeah, and into the winter. I basically just started behaving a little bit more like me. The, the video still can be a little wacky just because I'm a little wacky. But in general, I'm not putting on a funny voice or trying to talk in a crazy way. I'm basically just me making recipes and trying to drop some interest science on a tip or a trick or a hack as I do so. God, those early days were epic. Yes. And it was also, I mean, I made the point about me being slightly older than most people on the platform. You know, the platform has changed a lot too. I mean, now almost everyone I know is trying to get a a presence on TikTok as well as a presence on Instagram because the beauty of the platform is you really can grow there. I mean, I have over 200,000 followers on TikTok and I don't, you know, I think I have 76,000 or something on Instagram and I've been on Instagram forever and I've only been on TikTok for a couple of years. So there's real potential there for people, 100%. It's also extremely competitive, like like all of the social stuff is. So the cookbook is dedicated to your parents, but I also think it might be a love letter to your mother-in-law. In the early days of your marriage, she would serve apple cake, which was the inspiration for your pear sour cream snacking cake on page 49. Can you talk a little bit about this? Sure. So unlike my own mom, my mother-in-law was like like the quintessential kind of old school baker, comfort food maker, like all of the kinds of foods that I love more than anything were the kinds of things that my mother-in-law liked to make. Like she has a mac and cheese that she's famous for. She's Italian. She has an incredible spaghetti sauce that she's famous for. Her lamb with uh, mint jelly on Easter is spectacular. I mean, these are just some of the savory things that she makes that are just off the charts. And also very much the kind of food I like to eat, like her lobster rolls are incredible. And her hot dogs, I know that sounds crazy, but her hot dogs are delicious. What does she do to hot dogs? It's the way she grills them on her, like an electric griddle kind of situation. She'll just plug it in in the kitchen and grill her hot dogs on them. You know, she melts butter and toasts the buns in the melted butter. Her grilled cheese sandwiches. I mean, everything is like the best you've ever had, like that you would expect from a diner, except you're eating it in her kitchen. Those are all of the savory things that I think about when I think of her, but she was also an incredible baker. So, you know, she had this apple cake that was off the chart. She had like a French silk pie situation, like a frozen chocolate pie with a walnut crust that was off the charts. Her buckles, I had never even had a buckle before, which is basically like a coffee cake with fruit in it. She had this epic blueberry buckle. I I mean, I loved the name. I loved everything about it. Um, What else did I love? She had O. Henry bars, which is like, again, like an old school treat. I mean, the list goes on and on. It was like everything she touched um, everything she would put in front of me, I would either be like, that's the best thing I've ever had, or I need to make that right now. Can I please have the recipe? She had a huge influence because when I met her, obviously I wasn't baking. I had my sweet tooth intact uh, and was carrying it around with me, but I had not yet learned to do anything myself. Her apple cake inspired your pear sour cream snacking cake. Yes, 100%. I still remember sitting around her kitchen table and her bringing it to the table. And it was, you know, this beautifully bronzed kind of sheet cake with kind of chunks of apple that were just kind of laid out on top of it. Like you didn't, there was nothing, not even laid, like they'd been tossed on top of the cake before it went into the oven. I mean, couldn't be simpler. And I was of course like, oh no, there's no chocolate. Oh no, where's the whipped cream? Like all the things that I kind of believed at the time that I needed to zhuzh up a dessert in order for me to love it. 
And instead it was this delicious, very like um, of the season. I think, believe we were eating it in the fall with these plump, you know, really yummy kind of moist, fruity pockets of apple and this delicious, maybe vanilla cinnamon scented um, cake. And I was just, and um, this, you know, moist cake with this beautiful crumb. And I was just sold like, oh my God, I need to make this right now. It's beyond delicious. So it's strawberry season, and this week I made your strawberry sheet cake on page 55. Can you describe this? Sure. Um, In some ways, very influenced by the cake I just described. I'm very much into vanilla, and it's a very vanilla forward kind of yellow cake or white. You know, it's not a white cake because it, it has egg yolks in it. So it's more of a yellow cake or a vanilla cake. Very simple cake that you throw together in a bowl with a whisk. It's an oil based cake. I love um, I almost exclusively make cakes with either oil or melted butter. Um, I basically make everything with either oil or melted butter. And sometimes I throw in some shortening when it comes to cookies. Sorry, haters, but it's true. This particular cake calls for oil, which means it's going to be a very moist cake that has a long shelf life. Not that you um, have to keep a cake around for very long because this is the kind of cake that will go quickly. But if it lasts a few days, it will still be super moist and delicious a few days later um, because of the oil. And again, you make this simple cake batter in a bowl with a whisk and a spatula. You transfer it to a prepared pan. I make this, most of the cakes in the book are snacking cakes, which in my world are cakes that are made in like a eight by eight inch square or round pan or a nine by nine inch round or square pan. And um, this cake is a, a sheet cake. So it's made in a nine by 13 inch pan. And once you get that batter into the prepared pan, you just sprinkle some strawberries, some coarsely chopped, sprinkle those all over the cake. It bakes up beautifully with these like bright, vibrant um, pops of red from the strawberries that are literally just sprinkled on top. I also, from way back in my bakery days, I tend to be very generous with turbinado sugar or sugar in the raw. And I like to top my cakes that don't get frosting or my muffins or even my fudge with turbinado sugar or sugar in the raw because it gives a beautiful sparkle a beautiful crunch and a beautiful flavor. So I do that on top of this cake. So you have all of the strawberries kind of, you know, beautifully sprinkled all over the top of the cake. And then I sprinkle it with the sugar, which gives it all the sparkle, et cetera, that I just described. Pop it in the oven. Takes a bit of time. I think this one bakes in about 50, 55 minutes. But then you have this gorgeous, perfect for a potluck, perfect for Father's Day, really perfect for anything. But as I like to say with snackable bakes, perfect for any day, perfect for Tuesday, as it were. Apparently, 2019 was the summer of strawberry sheet cakes. So true. So during that summer, Bon Appetit came out with a strawberry sheet cake. Deb Perlman from Smitten Kitchen came out with a strawberry sheet cake. And although I was on the mark to get a strawberry sheet cake out there, once I saw that other people were having the same idea as I was, or I was having the same idea as them, I shifted gears and I think I went with a raspberry sheet cake that summer, or maybe a, um, a and, a, and also a mixed berry snacking cake that summer. But in the end, and, you know, a few years had passed and I was writing this cookbook and I was like, you know what? I think my strawberry sheet cake time has come. You have arrived. Exactly. <laughs> so for the chocolate lovers in the world, you have a full chapter on chocolate that includes a chocolate donut. And surprise, 
it's not deep fried, it's baked. And it's on page 91. If marshmallows are my favorite food, then my second favorite food is donuts. I just adore donuts. And of course, I love a yeasted donut. I love a fried donut. Of course, even like whether it's a cake donut, a donut that doesn't have yeast and that is just leavened with baking powder or baking soda, or it's a yeasted donut. Of course, I love things that are fried. So do not get me wrong. I love all of it. I'm just not going to wake up and think to myself, today would be a great day to make some yeasted donuts, or today would be a great day to fry up some donuts. It's just not going to happen. Um, there are so many great places. I live in New York City where you can get delicious donuts. If I'm craving that, I go and get some, no problem. But to satisfy my need for a donut, donut like on the fly, I like to make baked donuts, which are in this instance, um, you're making a, a dough with some, some baking powder and baking soda. You are using a donut pan. They're fairly inexpensive, but if you do not have one or do not want to purchase one, you can make this recipe in a muffin tin and have chocolate muffins as it were, and then glaze those and put on rainbow sprinkles. This is a, you know, a extremely fudgy, chocolatey baked donut that gets dipped in a glaze that's sweet, but not too sweet. I believe there might be a little lemon juice, something to cut the sweetness in the glaze that really helps. That was a brilliant tip from my uh, recipe tester. And they're just, they're so festive and so fun. And you almost forget that it's not yeasted or it wasn't fried. The photos in this cookbook are extraordinary. Tell me about shooting the book and how did that work? So it was a super exciting experience for me. Um, strangely enough, this is not most author's experience, but I had not even been present at the photo shoots for my first two books, Icebox Cakes and The Vintage Baker. It was just an arrangement I had with that particular publisher, whereby they were in charge of the photography aspect of the book. I was in charge with producing a manuscript. But in this instance, it was much more traditional, which is you're paid in advance to write your book, but your advance includes enough money, hopefully, for you to pay for the photography of the book. And so it was my first time doing this. I won't lie. I was a little nervous or a lot nervous, but I just worked with this incredible team. My photographer is Nico Skinko, who's just fantastic, S-C-H-I-N-C-O. My food stylist is Caitlin Wayne, who works with Aaron McDowell. So she has been Aaron's person for all these years on all of Aaron's books and this was Caitlin's first kind of solo job on a cookbook. And then my prop person was Charlotte Havlang, I think is how you pronounce her last name. And I didn't even have any idea how important props were to a photo shoot. I understood having like a pretty bowl and like a pretty spoon in the picture, but I didn't understand about surfaces and backdrops and all of that. And the three of them had worked together a lot. So they were like a, you know, a well-oiled machine, like just extraordinary what they produced. They, exactly captured like my dream of what this book would look like. You know, even though it's like a baking book and the recipes are like kind of old fashioned, you know, you could even say nostalgic or even cute. Like, you know, I have a Oreo truffle in my book, like kind of a hacky recipe for candy that I found on TikTok. So I have some kind of silly, cute recipes in the book, but I by no means wanted any of the photos to look silly and cute. So I love how the photos are super elevated and beautiful. And Nico is a master of light. So they're just beautifully lit and unusually lit. And yet the recipes are kind of fun. Like 
it's a recipe for like my take on a Nestle crunch bar. And yet it's photographed in this beautiful way. So I love the, that was a a goal of mine to have that kind of contrast. I love the photo of the enormous Reese's peanut butter cup. Yes. I mean, that is like, so me, um, basically Reese's peanut butter cups are my favorite food. And the idea that you could make one, I know now I'm saying marshmallows, Rice Krispie treats. What was it? I mean, what, what, donuts, I mean, mar- donut, marshmallow donuts and, 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 um, Reese's peanut butter cups. So I guess if, <laughs> if, if I get any questions about what's my last supper, I guess it's all of those things, maybe plus spaghetti and meatballs. But anyway, the Reese's cup is kind of amazing because you make it in in a tart pan that already has like a fluted edge. So it really mimics the way a Reese's peanut butter cup looks. And it's just couldn't be easier. You're melting milk chocolate, putting it on the bottom of your tart pan. You're making an easy peasy kind of peanut butter. There's a little bit of sugar, some butter filling. You're putting that into the tart pan uh, on top of the, the chocolate. And then you're putting more chocolate on top and you're done. I mean, you do have to do some resting in between those steps so that the the chocolate can kind of harden before you add the peanut butter. But, you know, we're talking 15 minutes, 10 minutes. It's a super easy recipe. And for the peanut butter and chocolate lovers in your life, it's like a, a must have. Now to my segment called Dream Dinner Party, where I ask you who you most want to invite to your dream dinner party and why. And for this segment, it can only be one person. I mean, I know I'm not allowed to say more than one, but can I say, I'm going to say them really fast. Um, (laughs) I want to have dinner with comedians because I love to laugh and I don't know who's cooking for us, but I really want like Amy Schumer, Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle. And no slapping. (laughs) <laughs> oh no no and I promise not to no, slap I'm kidding. it that was a bad but I just they're hilarious all of them are hilarious um there are other comedians that I love too that are hilarious but I want to hang out with them and I want them to make me laugh and like someone else can cook for us where can we find you on the web and social media jessiesheandbakes.com jesse is j-e-s-s-i-e and then s-h-e-e-h-a-n and then um my handle on instagram and on tiktok and my page on facebook are all jesse sheehan bakes no spaces no no periods no dashes no nothing just jesse sheehan bakes to purchase snackable bakes head on over to cookerybythebook.com and thanks jesse for coming on cookery by the book podcast it's been so much fun catching up Susie, I've loved it. I met you for the first time when we did this podcast for the Vintage Baker four years ago. So it's so nice to come full circle. Subscribe over on cookerybythebook.com. And thanks for listening to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book. <laughs>